بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet peace be upon him and for some reason this is not my screen once again is not loading hopefully one a second okay so while we're waiting for for my screen to catch up with uh to catch up with me uh a couple points uh this coming week we will not have class on tuesday and thursday uh i have to be in other types of meetings for for uh for those particular time slots inshallah but sunday monday wednesday friday saturday so far so good inshallah okay uh as we begin does anyone have any questions about anything at all related to anything we've covered anything related anything unrelated blank stairs okay Donnie, do you have a question you look like you almost had a question no question just makes me laugh do you have a question for us <laughs> yeah my question was do you have any questions you know yeah all righty so let's let's uh put up the the screen so once again, give me a thumbs up or something. Pretend like, uh, yeah, okay, the screen is up. Okay, good. So we've been exploring the names and attributes of Allah. And the purpose of that is to explore how to get to know who is Allah. And the purpose of that is to have a connection with Allah. Remember on the first day that we said the essence of all of this is connections and relationships with the first connection or relationship being with Allah. And then how do you develop a connection or relationship with Allah? First, you need to get to know who is Allah. And that is by way of his attributes and names. The first name being Allah, and then from there, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. And so we had explorations yesterday about what if instead of beginning with Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, what if the Quran began with other names uh, for Allah? How does that change the experience? And the metaphor, again, I'd like you to consider is the person who's been walking around in a desert and then and is completely parched, completely thirsty, losing energy. And then next thing you know, this person finds himself at the bottom of a nice, cool waterfall. And just the water is washing all the dirt and dust upon them. The water is nourishing them. And the rahmah that Allah pours on me at any given moment far exceeds the experience of this person in the waterfall. And, and thus what we're saying is that a key to developing this connection with Allah first is to recognize the relationship that Allah has with me, the default being rahmah, that he is giving me ease upon ease upon ease, that every condition that is in my life could be worse. And again, in terms of counseling, you don't say to someone who just lost uh, you know, a loved one, oh, man, it could be worse. You could have lost two people. Or you don't do that, right? That everyone still has their struggles. And then looking at these names and attributes of Allah, on the one hand, they're giving us his names and attributes, but he is not bound by them. An easier way to consider them is that these are 99 relationships that Allah has with us. And to make that point further, just about every dua you can make if you look at what is the root of the dua it probably lands on one of those 99 names most of your duas will probably be something from like mercy yeah Allah, please give me mercy some might be for justice some might be for Allah to form something for me or even to change something about me, whatever the case may be. That just about every prayer you make to Allah, you can trace back to at least one of these names. And thus, each of these attributes also is a promise of how Allah is operating reality. And so, where we left off, I made the point think, for example, of those prayers that you make that seem like they're never getting answered right the prayer you're making for something about usually it's something about life either something about your own self or your condition in life or whatever the case may be that seems 
like it is never getting answered? Do you still have full conviction that Allah is listening? Now, having said that, we're leading into the question that I left off with uh, yesterday. Is life fair? So, thoughts? How would you answer this question? Is life fair? Is life unfair? Who wants to jump in? Bilal, and then Amala. Um, so, this like took me like a while to like reach this, but I feel like just like if we're to you know assume that like you know the the Islamic God is real, then I would say yes, okay. life is fair, just because. And then it, just like going back to like some of the attributes, so like you know, there's like the all knowing and things like that, and then like the just. So there's maybe some things that are just like hard for people on earth to like comprehend. But then at the end of the day, like if there is you know like this like plan and there is like something that was just like created like so like beautifully, then I feel like we would have to say that yes, life is fair. But okay, I'm willing fair. to change that based on what other people say. Okay, very uh, fair enough, Amala. I was going to say the same thing that um, like in our my body or right now on earth and our earthly wants is going to not feel fair because it's like we don't think we want that or don't think we need that or anything like that. But if we trust in Allah and what he's doing for us, then it is fair. OK, OK, very nice. Awesome. Um, which life and who's defining fair? OK, uh, how would you answer both of those? Well, I don't know. You you pose the question, so I'm asking for clarity. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, if we say your life, okay, uh, and then what's the second? Uh, oh, and then who's defining uh, fair? Fairness in the sense that uh, out of life, uh, you are not treated unfairly. That justice is served, so forth and so on. Okay, then clearly not. Okay, because your life is just horribly bad. No, not my. I mean, I, I think about a lot of other people's lives. My life, alhamdulillah, is pretty great. But, uh, but like, I think if you ask George Floyd this question, he would have a very different answer. Or if you, you know what I mean? Like fairness is kind of a, uh, it's an interesting way to conceptualize whether what life is like or not. Okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, Mustafa? I'd say yes and no. Okay. Uh, how yes, how, how no? Yes, in the sense that um, this life is like we are not meant to be permanently in it. It is... Uh, tra- translate the uh, for everybody. Um, so it's a place of hardship. Intense hardship, yeah. 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 Um, and it's a temporary stop for us. It's not a permanent thing. And ah. so we can't look at it disjointedly from the afterlife. We have to look at them both together, coupled. Mm-hmm. But in isolation by itself, it's not meant to be fair in the mm-hmm. sense that we think of or have as humans, I think. Mm-hmm. It's part of its nature. Mm-hmm. So you're saying specifically this dunya, this dunya is not fair. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then Aisha is saying this life may seem unfair, but if you are talking about the afterlife, then then everything becomes fair. Yeah, and then now that you're saying this life is clearly not fair, mic drop. Okay, <laughs> right. Okay, and Amal says I think when it comes to social worldly things, then it is not fair. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's uh, address this uh, a couple of ways. First, of course, um, this. Uh, Hey, Danny, did we do the Raham thing in this class or the other class with the phases of life? Oh, I can just look up here. Other class, I think. Yeah, okay. Okay, very good. So when we look uh, from a chronology perspective, the passage of time perspective, then these are the phases of your life. So we have dunya which is where you and I are now. Most of my undergrads are here. Some of them, I'm not sure where they are, but you know, we'll just pretend they're in dunya. So dunya, speaking of this worldly life, 
begins with your birth, ends with your death. The moment location of your birth is set. The moment and location of your death is set. There's nothing I can do to change my death moment. I can't make it come earlier. I can't make it come later. Prior to that, you were in your mother's womb. You entered your mother's womb about 120 days after conception, based on one specific hadith. It's about four months after conception. And then you're in this pre-eternity state before that. So, and then you enter the condition of death, the barzakh. So any loved ones who have passed away, this is where they are now. Well, I guess any hated ones that are passed away, there, this is where they are now as well. And then there will be some point where everyone who everyone who has ever lived will be resurrected right down to their fingertips, launching the Day of Judgment. So, so this is your whole experience of life. Uh, most of us saying former English teacher have great appreciation for timelines. Okay, very nice. All right. And then, as you know, with the Day of Judgment, the result will be either you go to heaven or you go to the unhappy place. And then some people will then go from heaven, from hell into heaven. Okay. So this is the experience of life. So we are here. What happens in the womb will affect me in dunya uh psychologically neurologically physiologically all those things okay thus spiritually what happens in dunya will affect my experience in death what happens in dunya will especially affect my day of judgment yeah, awesome. Um, can you explain that what happens in the womb will affect my dunya more? So uh, you understand it from the perspective of, you know, physical conditions and physiological, well, physiologically uh, that will affect me. Yes. Sure. Yeah. And so spiritually, uh, whether it has significant experience or not, the experience in the womb uh will have some influence by the mother by as well as what the child experiences so this is physiological but affects our choices if the mother is experiencing a traumatic pregnancy that's going to have influence on the child yeah which can potentially influence the child's decision making Processing, processing, processing. Response? You might have broke my brain, but I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, Nadia. I just wanted to say that whose womb you land in also has a big effect. Totally. It's basically who your mother is. So. Yeah, like the, the entire, yeah, yeah. The entire moral philosophy of John Rawls is based on this one key point that, uh, Whose family you're born into, which then in this context means which womb you're born into will have major impact on your whole experience of life. Uh, Dania and then Mustafa. There's also this like kind of newer or emerging field um, of epigenetic research looking at how um, traumas that your like past ancestors experience have effects on you now mm -hmm. which i think is also really incredible and also really plays into you know that influencing your dunya yeah absolutely and even if we just walk through it let's say uh uh i'm a mother who has experienced and is carrying a lot of trauma my child my unborn child will then be inheriting quite a bit of it 
which then is potentially going to be passed off to their child and so forth and so on. And so it could be the legacy of trauma. The legacy that I'm born with, the trauma that I'm born with could have been something from five, 10 generations ago. Absolutely. Mustafa. Also, it can like, <laughs> this is a bit difficult to explain eloquently, but sure. it affects where you're born. Like mm -hmm. I was born physically in the US. My mother was here when that happened. Mm. My sister was born in Egypt. She mm -hmm. was physically there when that happened. Totally. And so the choices that we have in life are drastically different as a result. Oh, absolutely. So that's yeah. another example. And, and whether we're speaking about choices, whether we're speaking about what facilities are available, all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, what experience you have in your mother's womb will affect your dunya. And then, and then taking this point uh, uh, a step further, this will, your dunya will then affect your experience in the condition of death. Will it be a fast experience? Will it be a heavy experience? The narration of to the Prophet, peace be upon him, is that for some people, it'll feel like they're getting crushed, and then he's using his fingers like this as though your ribs are being pushed into each other. That's how it will feel for some. And then we get into the Day of Judgment. And think of the experience of Barzakh as a direct consequence of how you lived your life, how you treated others. But then the Day of Judgment, as we know, is a complete balancing of everything. Good. And so when we're, there's different models in terms of how the Day of Judgment operates, but a common model or I should say, in the chronology of the events of the Day of Judgment. First, of course, is the resurrection. Resur... Yeah, there's probably too many letters in here, but that's okay. Good. Uh, first, everyone who's ever been born, everyone who ever lived, uh, will be resurrected right down to their fingertips, and the experience will be one of almost shock. I was going to say shock and awe, but then I started thinking of the invasion of Iraq and I don't get happy. But anyway, so the point here is that we're going to be startled uh, and think of it as though you're asleep and then you're waking up in the middle of the world's worst earthquake because that is exactly what the experience is going to be. And to the point that you're not going to care about anybody. And then when things calm down, We're going to have this giant mass of all of humanity. Okay. Yom al-Hashar is one of the common names for the Day of Judgment. And then we're going to have basically, how do we call this? Desperate seeking. Desperate. We're in this gathering. People are trying to figure out, all right, what do we do? The reality that this is the day of judgment is sinking in on people. And then they some people see Adam alayhi salam, people see Adam, peace be upon him. And then they go to him saying, Can you help us get out of here? And he's going to feel bad because we're all his children. And he's going to say, I can't help you here. And then he points to Noah. Peace be upon him. Everyone races to Noah. And just try to imagine, try to even comprehend the crowd. Uh, it's almost easier to understand if you just imagine a whole bunch of birds all going to one place and then all going to another place, right? And then Noah says, I can't help you. And then he points to another prophet, probably prophet Ibrahim, peace be upon him, who then points to prophet Musa, peace be upon him. And they go down the chain until they get to prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And prophet Muhammad then does a sajda, a prostration. And that prostration may be as long as a week. Good. So again, imagine your personality as it is now. How do you behave? What's your stress personality? You're going to see it on the Day of Judgment. It's the you that is here is going to apply to everyone. Uh, does the desperate seeking apply to Muslims? It essentially excuse me, applies at least to everyone, Muslim or non-Muslim, except perhaps the people who reached a very high level of faith in life. Good. But it may apply to them too. And so then the prophet, peace be upon him, gets up from his sajda. And at that point, 
Allah has arrived. Whatever that means. With the angels, with prophets, including Moses himself, peace be upon him. And then there's two parts to this next phase. One is the person-to-person accounting. So your currency is your hasanat, your good deeds that you've done. And anyone that I have wronged, I'm paying you back with my hasanat. If I run out and I still owe you something, you will then give me some of your sayyat, some of your bad deeds. And so this will be a day of complete accounting for everything that is owed to anyone by anyone. Okay. Awesome. Does this include things you have sought forgiveness from others for and been given forgiveness from others for? So if you've been forgiveness by them, it'll play out in this phase. We'll call it 4A. If you've not been given forgiveness, then it may play out in 4B. Good. So let's say, you know, I poke you in the eye and I never say sorry, you never forgive me. Uh, Then I'm paying you back on the day of judgment. Or let's say I don't say sorry, but you still forgive me. Then that's a wash. It's clean. Okay. So, yeah. So forgiveness uh, levels it out. Yeah. And then accounting with God. With Allah. First question is going to be, what is the condition of your prayers? If your prayers are strong, that might override everything. If your prayers are not strong, may or may not help you as much. But then you go through this full accounting with God, which may then include uh, things for which someone has not forgiven you. Awesome. Can you define strong prayers? So, so here what I mean is that scenario number one, you have a person who made no prayers, okay, but they knew they were supposed to. So that's a big chunk that they owe to Allah. Scenario number two, it, so then the other extreme, let's put it as, as a spectrum first, is a person that went over the top in terms of their prayers. They did what is required, but then they did what is also, you know, recommended, the hajjud, the whole nine yards, qiyamalayl, duha, chast, everything, right? So let's say you have that, and they've done it all with such full concentration. Okay, Everybody else is somewhere in the middle. And so a way to think about it is the prayers will carry tremendous, tremendous weight. A whole bunch of cameras just suddenly turned off. I wonder if you guys are all going to make up prayers right now or something. (laughs) Okay. And so, so this is also accounting with God for everything Allah owes you. So Struggle that Allah has put in your life, Allah will pay you back. The struggle could be, let's say, you're born with a condition. It's nobody's fault. This is when Allah pays you back. Uh, Or let's say Allah hit your life with a natural disaster. That's coming from Allah, right? Not coming from another person. So this accounting is also everything that Allah owes you. And what is the promise you are not hit with any suffering or struggle in this dunya, except that Allah is going to make sins drop away, like the leaves falling from a tree. So, it's possible that you might have lived an average common life, but because of the struggle Allah imposed upon you, which for you was a horrendous struggle, for the next person may not have been, but for you was a horrendous struggle, that might be your ticket to paradise. And so the point is that if I asked each and every one of you, you know, what is a big struggle that is ongoing in your life, each each and every one of you probably will have an answer. And the point is that if it is coming from outside of your choice, outside of your control, Allah has assigned it to you, and he's going to be paying you back for it. Absolute, complete accounting. Everything, all the books will be completely balanced out by this point. And then we get to the next phase, 
the bridge. So we have the stage, for lack of a better term, of where the Day of Judgment is taking place, let's say Earth, and then a bridge to paradise. And so you are now crossing over into the bridge. And then you have hell underneath the bridge. This is just like too scary to even like think. And hell, think of hell as animate. There's all kinds of interesting hadith where hell is speaking to Allah. You know, like, you know, I keep uh, consuming myself. Give me a chance to breathe. And so then hell is allowed to breathe, you know, twice a year. And, and hell is going to send claws up to yank the people who belong there. Meanwhile, your experience crossing the bridge will be in. And so this whole, imagine this whole room, this whole cave, whatever it is, is complete dark. Then uh, it's the light from your wudu that is going to help you cross the bridge. And your iman, the result of this judgment in step four, is going to indicate how wide your experience is on the bridge. So, and at this point, this is the final desperation where people are asking, hey, can you give me just can you give me some of your light or something so I can cross over? And again, you're not gonna care about anybody, including your own children. One time I was teaching this class. Hey, are you are you here today? Let me see. No, he's not. Uh I think he's in the sixth class class. Uh I just had an eighth grade student. Now he's mashallah, you know, 30, but uh, um, who was debating with me? No, you're gonna be nice on the on the on that bridge. You're gonna be nice to people. I was like, no, you're not. And so Hell will grab you if you are grabbable, and then you will begin what you have to pay for in hell. Some people, so it's agreed upon, some people in hell will only have to pay for is pay off some things, and then they go to paradise. Uh, what's not agreed upon is what happens to everybody else. One opinion is that there are some people that will be in hell forever, like shaitan. Okay. Uh, another opinion is because God's mercy outweighs his wrath, hell and all those that are in it will cease to exist. There's also an opinion that essentially everyone will eventually go to, to paradise too. Once you've paid off, once you've paid off. Allah knows best. And keep in mind that you could have had a life literally in paradise and the equivalent of two seconds in hell will make you forget everything you had in paradise. But also vice versa. When you cross the bridge on the other side, there will be the prophet, peace be upon him, waiting for you. So, and then you bathe in his fount and imagine in your fount all of your uglies will be washed away by uglies i'm not talking about ugly i'm talking about uglies in your personality and then you will keep ascending until you find your home in paradise imagine like you're moving into a dorm and you're looking for where your room is this is going to be that experience, except, you know, it's you and however many billion people. And then you're going to find your paradise. And there are other, you know, other, you know, asterisks that certain people will also be given the opportunity to pull other people into paradise along with them. Uh, there's a lot of debate about the intercession of the prophet, peace be upon him. It's generally agreed that the prophet, peace be upon him, will have the power of intercession and will give intercession uh, some are of the opinion that doesn't mean you're not going to go to hell first. Uh, but uh, inshallah, inshallah, we'll all get all of these things. And then you enter paradise and you have your experience of paradise where everything changes. Time changes, physics changes, everything. So the point here is that in terms of the question of fairness, at the individual level, Dunya is not fair for the vast majority of people. You may have moments of fairness, but when you include the entirety of life, everyone will be given a complete fair uh, um, treatment. And you are going to be judged according to you. You're going to be judged according to your context. Because all your choices are made in your context. And again, I'm sure this is all Islam 101 for, for, for just about everybody here, but just put everyone uh, on the same page, emphasizing that this dunya is not fair. Because even think about it. Uh, suppose you have someone who commits a murder and you have you know a hypothetical Islamic polity and then they get found guilty and the family wants their execution. Uh, it's not going to bring the dead back, right? 
And, and what do you do if you have, if you committed two murders? And so, so the point <clears throat> is that this little tiny experience of dunya, which right now for some of us might seem too long, and then as you get older, it starts seeming like shorter and shorter. Like I've crossed over into that realm where I feel like, all right, I'm running out of time. You know, it's like the hourglass, the sanding, the hourglass is just falling faster and faster and faster. For all I know, I might live for another 50 years, but you know, who knows? Uh, but it'll seem like the blink of an eye once we're on the other side. Okay, that's the big aspect. Now the small aspect. In this dunya, in dunya, but then by extension, or all of my experience of life, what do I deserve? How would you answer that question? So forget everything we've, we've shared above. I mean, that's, that's you know, reality. Uh, what do I deserve from God? Nothing. You know, Saudi is from Pakistan because that's totally a Pakistani answer right there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, I think across the board, the only thing we deserve is fairness because that's all we've been promised. That's basically it. But in reality, Sadia is correct. Do I deserve existence? No. But the promise Allah has given me is a promise of fairness on the day of judgment. Not fairness in this dunya. Okay. But then beyond that, guidance if I seek it. Guidance is still there all over the place, but my eyes might not be open to it. So when I am praying for guidance, what am I actually praying for? And we're going to give another definition to this in the next couple of days. I'm praying for my eyes to be open to Allah's guidance. So, uh, but that is more of a promise Allah has given me. But what is the consequence of looking at my life from the perspective that nobody starting with my parents, starting with a law, starting with society, nobody owes me anything. What does that mean for how I live my life? Low expectations. Sure. Yeah. Unentitled, yeah. That whatever it is that, and this is a common conversation I'll have with, uh, you know, the undergrads here in the office, is, you know, this about the world, this about school, this about parents, this about family, this about friends. But the core point is nobody owes me anything. Now, if I am trying to live life as a Muslim, then I might owe people things in this dunya. Okay. But I owe my child, all I owe my child, is Jonah here anyway? No, Jonah's not here. Wait, where's my kids? Anyway, so uh, all I essentially owe my child, which is an owe something I owe to Allah for entrusting me with my child, is that I have to give them essentially the basics, the rudiments of guidance, right? The rudiments of good conduct. So, but that's not something that my child should think I owe them. This is something I owe Allah. Uh, Mustafa and then Asim. If I am owed nothing and I deserve nothing, then mm -hmm. that means the same applies to everyone else. And I think that that in a way is how choice matters and it comes to be. Okay, walk me through it. Go further. Um, like, the reason why... I feel like life makes sense to be unfair and for everyone to not be owed anything or deserve anything like as a basis is because it's, it levels the playing field in terms of our choices having impact and our choices having consequence. Mm -hmm. um, when you choose to do something good, um, and I think that this also plays to fitra because it applies to people that 
like have received guidance from God and have found God as well as people who haven't and people who haven't found God as far as my knowledge is aware as in if God hasn't like given them the message of Islam they are judged by fitra mm-hmm. and so like that would only be possible if they genuinely and sincerely do things because they want to be of help to others they want to be of benefit to others they want to do good mm-hmm. and as such are sincerely good mm-hmm. they're not like it's not something that they oh per se by default it's like as a blank there's mm-hmm. nothing so mm-hmm. it makes their choice all the more impactful yeah uh, I, uh that makes complete sense awesome um, how do we reconcile the feeling with not being owed anything with the feeling with owing? And I know you you touched on it w- in terms of a parent-child relationship, but like in general, if if I am not owed anything, then why are other people owed anything? Um, when you're saying if I'm not owed anything, why are other people owed? Uh, who would the other people be? Or why do I owe other people anything? Okay, okay, fair enough. So that gets into then the rules of the system, right? So I am not owed anything uh, except what Allah imposes upon me that I have to give to others. So like I have to give to Allah my acts of worship. I owe Allah my acts of worship. I owe Allah, I owe because of Allah, I owe people upright character, right? I owe generosity. Those are basically the core things. Uh, And then what that also means is that uh, I owe, you know, like I said, to my child, a certain amount of instruction, guidance, all those things, right? Uh, Now, am I owed anything by my parents beyond that no if i don't get those things if i don't get things then depending upon my upbringing my culture and such uh i might have a big struggle earlier today i had a meeting with a couple where uh his mom uh, you know is always on the attack against her you know to the point that they've been married only about a year and it's totally crushing her spirit yeah to the point that it's getting even into her work. And the way we got the conversation to was that in his mom's mind, she's actually giving the bride. So mother-in-law is giving the bride the highest illustration of worth by giving her son. But then in her mind, in mother-in-law's mind, I'm giving you my son and all these pot shots and insults and something are tiny compared to that. In the daughter's experience, daughter-in-law's experience, yes, you're giving me your son, but these insults are destroying me. Right. And the point being that if we run with this argument, uh, mother-in-law does not owe anything to the daughter. But there are consequences to behavior that uh, if if mother-in-law keeps insulting daughter, daughter's not going to want to see mother-in-law, right? See what I'm saying? That even if the, like what I owe is because of what Allah has imposed upon me. So mother-in-law owes daughter-in-law courtesy and compassion as an obligation she has to Allah. And if she's not doing it, daughter-in-law's complaint would be to god mother-in-law's not going to change processing 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 nodding okay mustafa uh sort of to piggyback off of all of this um as muslims we believe in the quran and we believe in god's word and um one of the direct consequences of that is um essentially following the nature of the relationships be it with responsibilities and rights that come along with that within the quran that has been established mm-hmm. um, and so if you logically 
or through whatever reason believe in the Quran then and believe in God, then there is no reason for you to like do away with those rights and responsibilities that God has uh, set for you. Sure. Uh, that alone is more than enough reason to abide by them. Mm-hmm. So that works well for me as the person who believes in all those things. But then if we have someone else who essentially claims they believe, but they're not following any of them, you know, then that's the dilemma. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So essentially, what do I deserve? Ultimately, nothing. But I deserve God's promises. Okay. Whatever he promises. So, for example, fairness on the day of judgment in this life uh, answers to my request primarily for guidance. But there are other things that are also promised. Your sustenance is promised. But the catch is you have to go look for it. There are other things that are promised that are often forgotten um, that are also built in to these promises from from Allah. Uh, But a lot of times I am blocked myself from finding the answers to those promises unless I have a certain state of taqwa. And this we'll be exploring little by little, more and more. All of this is essentially setting the stage for the next ayah. That he is master of the day of judgment. Right, so this first half of the surah is all about Allah. And, wait, hold on. So the first half is, is... uh, uh, all about the generosity of Allah, but the generosity of Allah is also tempered with the Day of Judgment, which is the point we've essentially been discussing for the past 45 minutes, right? That this dunya is not going to be fair. This dunya is not meant to be paradise, will not be paradise. Rather, Bilal is going to be hit with something, Dani is going to be hit with something, Tabish is going to be hit, hit with something, so forth and so on. On schedule, but you will also be hit with eases on schedule. But the the fact of being hit with struggle or with ease does not correspond to my level of faith. My reaction to those things corresponds to my level of faith. That it may be that Allah hits me with something that for for let's say for Nadia is a piece of cake, and then Allah hits Jewel with something which for, which is hard for her, but is for me really easy. That is an our subjective experience. But all of those things, the purpose of them is either a test or a doorway to bring us closer to Allah. At that point, we'll also be revisiting very soon, inshallah. All right. Any questions, thoughts, reflections about the fairness? of life but try to really really internalize these things to see how much of a sense of entitlement you may have and the simple way to phrase it is if you find yourself thinking i don't deserve this uh, is a sense of entitlement but if you also say i deserve this even if it's suffering that's also potentially a sense of entitlement right self-loathing is a type of narcissism And these points we'll touch on more and more in the next few weeks, inshallah. Alrighty. And and, and Aisha's point is totally correct. If you deserve nothing, then you are grateful for anything you do or receive. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Any I other last? Nadia. So you don't, nobody deserves happiness or even to seek ease in their life? Uh, so does anyone deserve happiness in dunya? No. But... Allah promises that if you ask, he will answer. So it doesn't mean you're... Thanks, Mustafa. You're going to get along perfectly well with the other people in the class. Okay, so so the basic point being that one of the currencies Allah has given us is dua. The biggest currency he's given us is time. But within time, you are free to ask for anything. And so the short version of dua is basically that either he's going to give you exactly what you asked for or he's going to instead remove a burden from you you know or he's going to give it to you an akhira but that's the prayer of your tongue 
we'll soon inshallah talk about the prayer of your heart and how that fits in with all this so uh i may not deserve happiness but i also may not deserve suffering either but i'm also freeing this dunya to ask for allah ask from allah anything so it's kind of a, a shift in certain things in the worldview so just as much as i'm saying i don't deserve happiness i'm also saying i also don't deserve suffering any other thoughts questions reflections Mustafa looks like he's processing more philosophical points. What is happiness? All righty. I had a quick comment. Ifat. Omar Mustafa. <laughs> so here's what I have to say about it. So I was going to say that um, it's interesting to me because I think that, you know, growing up, so many of us may have experienced this sense of entitlement. Like, wait, like we learned that if I do this, then I get this, like these equivalent statements, if I'm good, then I have this. And so you, you develop the sense of entitlement, maybe because of how you were taught or just like by our nature and maybe because of like what media tells us, me, 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 right? But what I find so interesting is that the people who have been tried the hardest are the ones who are the least entitled. This is what I've seen. Like they are so grateful because they do have a viewpoint of like, despite this one hardship, look at everything else that Allah gave me. Mm -hmm. And not only that, is this hardship might be my salvation. It's the only thing that's going to be carried with me in the afterlife. So it, it almost like when it's like a hardship that you can manage, you almost want to take it and be like, okay, I know I'm going to get something. This I can manage. This I will take this. Thank you very much. You know, and you move along. You're even grateful for that because mm -hmm. it has to be something, you know. And sometimes you look at somebody else's hardship and you think, oh my God, dude, I just don't think I can handle that. You know, that would be too much for me or I'm just not built for that. Mm -hmm. But my hardship, I get why Allah's doing it because it might be my attachment to something in this dunya or like my ego or whatever it is that has to be broken. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's my test. So it becomes like your perspective about it changes if you think about, it's not about deserving or not deserving you know, I, I feel like it's, I don't know. It's like, wh what do you mean? What do we deserve? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. is it, I don't think it's about that. I think it's about like, what's your purpose? You know? Uh, this, I would agree with very much. And especially this last point where you shifted from, you shifted the the thing from, you know, what do I deserve from? What is my purpose? Uh, I think that is very, very consistent with everything that we mm -hmm. have discussed and will discuss. Yes. Mustafa. And piggyback off of all of that yet again. Uh, I like piggybacking on things, but yeah. <laughs> um, there's an aspect of entitlement and a sense of deserving that tends to make us like form these false connections uh, where it's like, I did this, so as a result, I should get this or I deserve that. And oftentimes it sets these expectations that tend to break people's faiths because they're not being met, mm -hmm. um, which can be a very dangerous thing when we're not taught that like blank slate of <laughs> the blank slate is we deserve like no suffering and we deserve no mm -hmm. nothing good by default besides mm -hmm. what I would agree with this. Having lived, you know, mashallah, over a century. No, sorry, over half a century. The, uh, yeah, go ahead. Enjoy the laughter. But uh, the uh, uh, the less uh, you can make your heart feel entitled about anything, especially the big things in your life, parents, society, whatever, friends, family, ever, uh, whatever, uh, life becomes way easier. Uh, the more you have a sense of uh, I deserve X, Y, Z, uh, uh, the more you're asking for frustration. This is not speaking, however, about trauma and abuse. Because in the same way I'm saying I'm not entitled to happiness, I'm also not entitled to suffering either, right? When people hear the entitled thing, they only think about happiness. Uh, Jewel, you're about to say something. Or not. Okay. Any other last thoughts, reflections? Uh, what we discussed today is actually a very, very uh, heavy, heavy duty point 
to really, really reflect upon, which is essentially asking the question, how does life operate? And one fundamental point we've already made is Allah, his relationship with me, his relationship with creation is one of kindness, which means I have to be able to shift my outlook to see that. If I don't see that, then the system is not going to be working. And then related to that, even though his default with me is kindness, by default, I'm not owed anything. And then we're going to add more to this with the remaining ayahs of the surah. If you haven't internalized these, but you can, uh, I think uh, this will help managing a lot of the upside down, ups and downs of, of how life operates. Is it's a fact is if you're sitting in this room right now, then it means you have some amount of ease going on in your life that allows you to be in this class in this moment. But you might also have 500 horrendous tests and such at the same time that the rest of us are not aware of. Sadia. I think this is a recipe for having good mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and on a lighter note, <laughs> what if, I work hard and hard all day. And then at the end of the day, I say, I deserve unhealthy food right now. I want to enjoy it after a hard day, hard day's work. So what do you say on that? Well, I'd say number one, wait until iftar. But, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, but uh, I would not use the word deserve as opposed to I would really like. <laughs> because that logic is kind of corny, isn't it? I've worked so hard all day long. Now I deserve flaming hot Cheetos. I mean, that's just like, that's literally, I would think of Musa, peace be upon him, speaking to the children of Israel, who they said, all right, we're sick of all this gourmet food. We want we want fruits or we want vegetables. And he's like, are you going to ask for something lower when you have something higher? So, but that's just what comes to my mind. All righty. Uh, I got to run to the next class, which is literally right here. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta dastaghfiruka wa natubi ilayk. May Allah Ta'ala reward you all. Good discussion, inshallah, and we will continue tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.